0: Good morning. Thanks, Bob. One good morning from Bob. I'm going to have to sit down for this one, Psalm. Uh, this, is, this is the sermon in the series that I've been most afraid to preach. Can Jesus really heal me is the question we'll wrestle with today. I am so afraid of coming across as a health and wealth Uh, slicked-back, hair-sporting, $5,000 suit-wearing shyster who who offers simple answers to complex questions about suffering and healing, who tells you if you just send $5,000 to their TV ministry, you'll get the miracle you deserve. The truth is, I have prayed for lots of suffering people over the years who, as far as I can tell, have yet to been healed. I realize I'm on thin theological ice with this message. Um, I'm so afraid of hanging God out to dry by telling you to rely on God for a miracle of healing. Um, The truth is, God doesn't fit into the... uh, small theological boxes that I sometimes try try to squeeze him into. God is often quite unpredictable. And uh, and yet I realize that God needs my defense about as much as Muhammad Ali would need me to defend him from a five-year-old girl. But... So I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of how this sermon will make me look. I'm afraid of how this sermon will make God look. And I'm afraid of how this sermon might make you feel. Uh, many of you have opened up to me about the, the, the uh, spiritual, the relational, the physical, the emotional pain that you're experiencing in life right now. And you've been praying and praying and wondering, uh, Where is God when life hurts? Why is there so much pain in a world that a good, loving, powerful God has created? Uh, Does God still have the power today to do miracles of healing? Or has he retired to a condo in Florida where he talks about the good old days where he used to be able to do some really cool stuff, like give sight to the blind and make the lame walk and raise the dead, you know, cool stuff like that. Does God still have the power to do absolutely anything? Some of you are desperate for a miracle of healing. And if you are, then you can relate to the lonely leper in Mark chapter 1 verses 40 to 45 who was desperate for a miracle of healing. Let's turn there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be up on the screen as well. Mark chapter 1 verses 40 to 45. Here we go. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Most translations say Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent the man away at once with a strong warning, See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I want to start out with a premise uh, it's an audacious one, but stay with me. Hear, hear me out. But here, here's the premise. Jesus always heals those who hope in him. Always. Hope heals. The moment we put our hope in Jesus, the healing process begins. Relationally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Hope itself has a healing process quality to it it's medicinal it's medicine for the heart and the mind the soul the body hope heals i want you to notice a couple things about this passage Uh, first of all uh, when jesus looks at this hideous pus-soaked leper his response is not disgust or avoidance It's compassion. The Greek word for that kind of compassion, uh, and it comes up often in Jesus' ministry. Jesus was filled with compassion. The Greek word is splagnizomai. You don't have to spell it or say it. But it is a deep in the bowels of the body ache that Jesus felt because of someone else's situation and was moved to act on their behalf. It's it's not just a warm fuzzy, it's 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 an emotion that's so strong it actually causes pain in your body for someone else and causes you to respond on their behalf. I mentioned last week that when Jesus looked at the self-righteous, self-centered snob, his immediate response was love. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I would look at him and want to slap him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And now there's a hideous Puss soaked leper, and Jesus knee-jerk response is not disgust, but compassion. I love Jesus. He is amazing to me. And the compassion actually does something extraordinary that we might miss as 21st century American readers of this story. Jesus actually trades places with the leper. Uh, You hear a lot of 80s references from me. I'm sorry about that. Again, I'm a child of the 80s. I'm still looking for a recovery group for teenagers in the 80s. If you find a recovery group like that, let me know. But in the 80s, 1983, there was a movie, you may have seen it, called Trading Places. Eddie Murphy was a poor homeless guy, and uh, Dan Aykroyd played a rich stockbroker. And over the course of the movie, they traded places. Well, that's what's going on here. And let me just give you some of the historical nuances you might miss Because you're not a first century Jew. Okay, none of us are. Uh, So what was happening is this guy was, because of his leprosy, the disease of leprosy, he was forced outside of the city to live in lonely places all by himself. Because if you had the disease uh, and someone came in within 10 feet of you, they would also be considered unclean according to the Jewish law. And if you're unclean according to the Jewish law, you couldn't go and worship in the temple. You were ostracized from the church, the temple. Um, In Leviticus, I think chapter 23, there there was a law that told lepers, if anyone is coming close to you, you have to yell out to them, unclean, unclean, my translation, I've got cooties, stay away if you don't want cooties. Because again, if if I walked in within 10 feet of someone who had leprosy, um, I would be unclean according to the Jewish law, and I would have to go through a purification process before I could go back to worship in the temple. So this guy, this leper, was forced outside of the city in lonely places, cut off from everybody, family, cut off from worship in the temple. It was a lonely life. It wasn't just a physical pain. It was an emotional pain. Uh, inferiority and angst having to yell unclean cooties 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 it was a relational separation from his family he couldn't be with his family and it was a spiritual separation from the temple this guy suffered in every way but then Jesus Jesus didn't just come within 10 feet of the guy the text says go back to the text please the text says Jesus reached out his hand and touched him making jesus making himself unclean according to the law and making that man clean and now that man because he's clean can go back to the worshiping community in the temple back to his family back to his friends and it says jesus look at the end of the text jesus was forced now to live outside in lonely places Jesus is now unclean and forced to live outside of the city in remote areas and this guy is now clean and able to go back to community. They traded places. Because Jesus always heals those who hope in him. Now I know I've got some explaining to do with that premise. Let me put it this way. We have to have an eternal perspective on healing, if we're going to accept that premise. I'm talking about when does God heal. Um, it's not always now. Now, we are, we are immediate gratification people. We're conditioned by culture to get what we want when we want it. So we make purchases with money we don't have, because <laughs> we want it now. We want the healing now. We want the answer now. But if you had a choice, what would you rather have? Temporal, immediate healing in this life, in the 60, 70, 80 years we live, or progressive, eternal healing forever. This time on earth, here and now, is just a speck compared to the eternality that marks who we are and will be. If you had to pick healing here and now, or healing there and later, what would you pick? Healing is not always instantaneous. Sometimes it is. Oftentimes it's progressive. Okay. Healing starts here and now, but may end there and later, is what I'm saying. The other thing we need to get our minds around is that healing, uh, we need a, a holistic perspective on healing. How does God heal? It's not always physical. We make a big deal out of the physical. I get that because we're physical beings. But sometimes the healing we most want, physical, is not the healing we most need, which could be spiritual, relational, emotional. The greatest miracle for this leper was not that he was healed physically. That was small potatoes. <laughs> the big deal The bigger deal was that he was healed spiritually. He can go back to the temple. He was healed relationally. He can go back to his family. He was healed emotionally. He didn't have to live with the stigma of being unclean any longer. An eternal perspective on healing plus a holistic perspective on healing equals theological hope. Jesus always heals eternally and holistically those who hope in him. I would die at that stake. I believe it so strongly. Let me put it this way. Let me, let me just uh, compare two people that I've met over uh, a long time ago. Um, I was a hospice chaplain at, at a hospital, fourth floor of uh, St. Joe's Hospital, Lexington, Kentucky. As part of my seminary training, I was a hospice chaplain. Uh, people came to the fourth floor of that hospital to die. And uh, I remember uh, walking into the room of Mary a 40-year-old uh, mother of three sons who had terminal cancer. Uh, she had all kinds of questions, all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of fear. I remember her asking me often, like, why would God, why would God make this happen to her? Uh, my heart broke for her then, 20 years later. She's long gone, but my heart still breaks for her when I think of her. She was living in despair in the midst of her pain, no hope. She didn't have Jesus. She didn't have hope. She had lots of questions and lots of struggles and lots of doubts. And then there was Joy. I walked into uh, the hospital one day and the nurses said, uh, Len, you have to go see Joy. She's, a, she's in a, a horrible situation. Her husband and kids and grandkids are in the hospital room with her. She's not going to live much longer. You've got to get in there. I thought, great. Great. And, you know, I went in and as soon as I opened the door my eyes met Joy's eyes and her face bore the hope uh, of an angel and she just there wasn't pain there wasn't fear her countenance was full of hope and then I made the mistake of looking down at her belly nurses were doing some work on her on her belly And I saw a cancerous tumor the size of a football protruding from her belly. Contrasting images. Her face full of hope. Her stomach's full of pain. Couldn't reconcile those two things. And uh, Joy called us closer to the bed and she preached a bit of a sermon. (laughs) Testimony. Testimony. Led us in prayer. She led us in prayer. (laughs) And then we sang one of her favorite hymns. Best worship service ever. Joy had hope because joy had Jesus. And it felt to me that even though cancer was taking control of her body and destroying her body, there was a deeper healing that was taking place in her life that I couldn't quantify or see, but it felt so real. She was being healed. Hope heals. This leper... The biggest miracle for, is, not, is not the healing, the physical healing. The, the biggest miracles for me is that no matter what life threw at this guy, no matter how many doctors and priests and rabbis couldn't heal him, no matter how many times he was tempted to give up hope, no matter how many times people told him to throw in the towel, no matter how many times he felt like escaping his pain, he finds the grace, the hope to take his pain to Jesus. He comes to Jesus, he asks Jesus, he hopes in Jesus, and he's healed. And that's a miracle. To keep hoping in the midst of dire, desperate circumstances. When a human puts their hope in a God they cannot see, who is made more real by faith than by sight, that's a miracle. I feel like I need to uh, offer a brief, I promise it will be brief, a brief brief theology of pain. Why does a dad back out of his garage and run over his three-year-old son? Why does a tsunami take the lives of thousands of people? Why does a guy at the age of 50 in the prime of his life get Alzheimer's? Why does an Olympic hopeful diver do a cliff dive and end up a quadriplegic? Why do teenagers with their whole life ahead of them get killed by a drunk driver? Why does an airplane go into a building uh, in New York City and kill thousands of people? Why, 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 why? This is going to be simplistic and brief, but I hope helpful. I want to offer four pain points to help us make theological sense, at least, of the problem of pain. First thing I want to say is that, uh, first pain point is, God is not to blame for pain. Read Genesis 1-3. to When God created the world, it was He intended it to be pain free, sin free, trouble free, death free. It wasn't God who initiated pain. It was the human race. When Adam and Eve decided to eat from the one tree, just the one tree they weren't supposed to eat from, literally all hell broke loose. And into the world came sin and violence and oppression, natural disasters. Sin threw the whole cosmos out of whack. But it wasn't God's fault. Why is it when good things happen we don't blame God? (laughs) Thank God. But when bad things happen we stub our toe, we get mad at God. God is not to blame for our pain. You ever been blamed for something you didn't do by the person who did it? (laughs) So your sister steals cookies out of the cookie jar and says to your parents that you did it and because you're a chubby little kid and she's a good liar your parents believed her. That is not hypothetical. <laughs> so imagine imagine uh, uh, you set your two teenage you have two teenage kids boy and a girl you set them up with SpaghettiOs for lunch uh, because they're millennials and they can't cook for themselves so you make the SpaghettiOs <laughs> that was wrong <laughs> and you, you tell them kids listen uh, you are free to eat from all the SpaghettiOs that are in the kitchen just Go at it. Have a ball. But don't fight with each other and don't make a mess, okay? You go downstairs, you do the laundry, you come back up, and there are SpaghettiOs all over the place. Uh, All over the window, all over your kids, all over the ceiling, all over the walls. Now, could you as a parent be blamed for that? Maybe we can blame you for trusting your kids enough to do the right thing but love entails trust. If you love someone, you've got to trust them and give them the choice to either defiantly disobey you or lovingly obey you. But the parent can't be blamed for that. We live in a world of a spaghetti-o mess, pain everywhere. God is not to blame. Second pain point is that God enters our pain All kinds of scriptures for this, but Psalm 23, one of our favorites, right? I mean, even though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me in the valley. You are with me in my pain. You're not on the mountain. You're in the valley with me. Hebrews 2, uh, because Jesus himself suffered, he's able to help those who suffer. God saw the spaghettios plastered all over the windows and walls and ceilings of our reality. And instead of keeping himself at a distance, a safe, uh, clean distance, God saw the mess and he willingly jumped into it and got his hands dirty. This is what makes the Christian God of the Bible so unique among all the religious uh, figures in the world, all the other gods of major religions, all the other gods of major religions are too transcendent, too aloof, too far removed from the Spaghetti-O mess that we live in. They're not touched by it. Not the Christian God. The Christian God saw the mess and jumped into it. And Jesus, flesh, blood, and bone, God in the flesh, experienced a spiritual pain. On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt that. He experienced emotional trauma. His own family rejected him. He experienced relational angst. His best buddies on his dying day betrayed him. And then physically, he died the most painful physical death imaginable at the age of 33. Our God is not aloof to pain. He has felt it. He has experienced it. And when I'm going through pain, the thought that God experienced pain suffers with me. Though it doesn't take away my pain, helps my coping and hoping in the midst of my pain. Third pain point. <clears throat> God uses pain for good. God redeems pain. I love what, uh, what happens in the Old Testament with Joseph in Genesis. He experienced all kinds of evil that he did not deserve at the hands of his siblings mostly. And at the end of his story, uh, because God used Joseph's pain to save the Jewish people from starvation actually, and Joseph says these words to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God has worked for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God didn't cause it. God redeemed it. He cleans up a mess he did not create. Romans 8. God works all things out for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. James 1. Consider it pure joy when you go through trials and suffering and pain because the testing of your faith produces something good. God won't waste the pain. He'll redeem it. Doesn't cause it. He'll redeem it. He'll take the mess we create I'll take the lemon and make lemonade. He just does that. Now, we've got to be careful not to be too simplistic here. Okay? So, like when somebody's going through pain, it's probably not a good time to tell them this is good, right? So, it's, it's not a good time to say, uh, God needed an angel in heaven, so he took your five year old daughter. That's just stupid. Don't say that. But the truth is. God will find a way to use the mess. Like the fact that we live in a Spaghetti-O mess reminds us of our need for the God who didn't create the mess. Many, many, many people, myself included, would say that they are experiencing right now a a life-giving, joy-filled, hope-inducing relationship with God through Jesus Christ because the pains of this life, the o mess, led them to God. And they wouldn't trade the pain for the, for the world. I'd say that. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain awakens us to our need for the God who didn't create the pain but can redeem it. Nerve endings are good is what I'm saying. (laughs) If we didn't have nerve endings, we wouldn't feel pain. If we didn't feel pain, we wouldn't go to the doctor. Our spiritual nerve endings that allow us to feel pain lead us to God, the cosmic doctor, for the healing only He can provide. Yes? Final and favorite pain point. (laughs) God eradicates pain. Amen. Jesus said it like this, John 16:33. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. At the end of the Bible, my favorite passage in scripture, one of my favorites. I have a lot of favorites. Last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21. John has a vision of a new heaven and a new earth, which seems a lot like the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, like the Bible's coming full circle. And then John sees uh, one who is seated on the throne, King Jesus, and hears a voice from the throne of King Jesus who says, I will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Behold, the old order of things has passed away. The one who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Cancer does not have the final word. Depression does not have the final word. Anxiety and fear does not have the final word. Diabetes does not have the final word. Addiction does not have the final word. Violence and oppression and discrimination do not have the final word. Sin does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. Jesus does. And he is making all things new. You geeked out literature folks, you might remember the Lord of the Rings, uh, Samwise Gamgee saying to Gandalf who he thought was dead, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. And then I thought I myself was dead. (laughs) Is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer of Christianity to that question is yes. 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 Those of us who hope in Christ will someday experience the healing, the eradication of pain. Someday God will make the spaghetti mess undone, gone. He'll take his cosmic mop and clean it up for good. Those of us who hope in Christ have to stop. Losing the forest of eternal bliss because of the trees of temporal pain. Those of us who hope in Christ have to remember that when we suffer we do not suffer alone. We do not suffer in vain. We do not suffer forever. When pain is at its worst God is at His best. So the premise... Jesus always heals eternally and holistically those who hope in Him. There's a battle going on inside of us all the time between the crisis that causes despair and the Christ that causes hope. That's the battle inside of us. And those of us who hope in Christ take the crisis to Christ. Are you going to be more overwhelmed with the crisis or Christ? That's the question. There's a battle going on inside of you between the crisis and Christ. And you get to pick the winner. And you get to pick the winner this morning. Because here's what we're going to do. Because we believe hope heals, Uh, we're going to do what James 5 tells us. Is any of you sick, James writes? Let them bring the elders forward to pray for those who are sick and to anoint them for healing. And so throughout the front of the sanctuary, we're going to have our ministry staff positioned in different places. And if you have a need for healing, spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, relationally, or maybe by proxy you want to be prayed for on behalf of someone else who needs healing. You can do that too. And what's going to happen is we're going to invite you during this song to come on up, go to one of these pastors. In one sentence or two, this is not going to be a counseling session, although you're welcome to follow up with one of our pastors. Just in one or two sentences say, I would like healing for, and then share it. Um, And then the pastor will take the oil, and just put a little bit. Don't worry, it's not going to run your mascara or mess up your hair. It's just going to be a little bit of oil, a sign of the cross on your forehead. And then that pastor will pray for your healing. And then we'll just see what God does. But I'll say this. Again, I know I've been ad nauseum repetitive. I know it. I just want this to stick. If you come up hoping in Jesus like the leper, if you come to Jesus and hope in Jesus, you will be healed. You will be healed. Maybe not now, maybe not in the way you want, but at the time and in the way you need most. So let's put it in God's hand. Let's let Him win the battle that's going on inside of us by hoping in Him. Let's stand together and sing and pray. Pastors will get in position. God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having the power to do absolutely anything. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. It's a battle that's raging in us between despair and hope, crisis and Christ. And today, we choose you to be our conquering king. Thank you for being the God who makes all things new, the God who heals. Your love for us is infinite, and your power to do for us is unlimited. So God may your love and power mix together. May the blood of your son Jesus Christ drip down into our wounds and make us whole. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So as promised, we're having a little bit of Q&A on questions around can Jesus really heal me? I promise you'll be out of here in another 10 minutes and um uh, we're also going to try to uh, wrestle with some of the questions we didn't get to. Uh, we'll do that on Facebook. Our staff will get together and we'll just have some Q&A. We'll post this to our website or, and to Facebook as well. So I uh, just wanted to create an atmosphere where we can dialogue around these difficult sorts of topics. So, uh, and again, uh, wisdom does not die here uh, with us. Uh, uh, we're still trying to figure out a lot of this stuff as well. So um, Forgive us if it seems we're offering simple, concise answers to very complex questions. We'll just do our best, though, okay? Give us grace. Give your pastoral team grace, okay? It's Pastor Appreciation Month.
1: All right, so we've got a couple questions that have come in so far. Um, the first one that we have is, how do you get healed if you don't feel worth being healed?
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, our healing our salvation even um, which is a healing form it's the ultimate healing is salvation in Christ uh, is not contingent upon the level of our worthiness or even our perception of our worthiness (laughs) our healing our salvation is dependent on how worthy we deem him to be and so uh, I will say though uh, the further we go in Christ, the further we go into relationship with Christ, the less unworthy we should feel. I mean, we, we, we have more appreciation maybe. We start to feel uh, as if he's, he's more extraordinary actually. As a result of being in a relationship with Christ now for 25 years or so, I feel like Christ is way more extraordinary than I thought he was back at the age of 18 when I came to faith. So uh, I think our our appreciation of his worthiness should increase, but I think also we should begin to see ourselves through the eyes of the one who made us. And if you go back to Genesis, it says we've been created in the image of God. God does not make junk. Now Genesis 3 uh, may have marred the image of God in us and broken it a bit, but Jesus came to restore what we lost in the fall, to restore the image of God that marks us at creation. That is who we are at root. We're not a sloppy sinner at root. We learned that in Genesis 3. In Genesis 1-2, we are sons and daughters made in the image of God, our Creator. That is who we are.
1: Second question. In the Bible, the disciples and Paul were able to heal people and perform miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why does it seem that we do not have this power to do miracles like they did?
0: What do you think, Jessica? Just gonna sit this one out.
1: I've actually thought about this a little bit, and I think we are not as faithful to call those things down. Because I think the disciples were making a point of calling those things out and and calling down healing and maybe with the the things that Society has said, bring healing. We've lost faith that we are able to do that. And if we just say, well, the medicine didn't work, so I guess it's not meant to be. The, the doctors didn't know, so I guess it's not healing, and we just leave it there, and we never make a point of asking God to heal, we won't see the healing in the same way that the disciples did when they called down healing and in Christ's name and in his spirit asked for healing.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, too, uh, I think as 21st century Americans, we, we, at least I'll say I, often think that somehow um, everything rests upon my education, my skill, my savvy, and I quickly come to the ceiling of my limitations. Uh, there are many, many, many things and the most important things which I am not equipped to handle. And And oftentimes I feel like, okay, well, I can't even try. Uh, I think we have to, I think Peter and Paul and that first century church and even pastors in other places like Africa, Uh, I have some friends who pastor in Africa, African pastors, who would never dare think that they could accomplish anything on their own because of their savvy and skill and education. Um... They stay plugged into the vine, Jesus Christ, and they pray big prayers because they believe God has the power to do absolutely anything. And I think we've lost that a bit in the American church. Uh, I think God is just as capable as he was in the first century to do healing. And uh, I think, as I mentioned in my sermon, I'm so afraid to hang, out, hang God out to dry. Like, if I, pray for a big, if I pray a big prayer for healing and it doesn't happen, then God looks bad. And uh, I've come to the conclusion... God doesn't need my defense. Amen. I'm just going to pray the big prayer and then let God have at it Amen. and see what happens. So uh, I do think we have to increase our faith. I do think that we uh, rest too much on our ability and not his ability. That's part of it.
1: Are we spiritually healed even when we continually willfully sin? I don't want to sin, but struggling to give it up and questioning my salvation. Wow.
0: Come on. <laughs> I'm not sure what I was thinking uh, I think about 1st John which says uh, it says two things read 1st John that's your homework on this question but uh, five chapters short letter um, it says in the same letter if we claim we have not sinned uh we're lying we claim to be without sin we're lying and the truth is not in us so we all have sin and then later on john says uh anyone who continues to sin does not have the spirit in him <laughs> what in the world's that um don't question your salvation because of your sin i can say that you need salvation because of your sin um So on one hand, I want to say, don't expect, you know, God's healing of you, God's love for you is not contingent upon your performance, your spiritual performance. I've seen God invade people's lives who, going back to the worthy question, who didn't at all seem all that worthy of it. (laughs) And he gave them a gift that I wouldn't have given that person if I were God. (laughs) So God is much more gracious to people undeserving than we might be. But uh, if we are saved, if the Spirit of God is in us, Over the course of time, we should have victory over sin in our lives. I shouldn't be the same Lenny today that I was back at the age of 18 when I came to faith. I should look a little different. There should be a before and after picture to my life. I may still have to lose 20 pounds, but I'm not 50 pounds overweight like I was when I came. You you hear what I'm saying? So um, if Jesus is in us, we will be different than we were without him. (laughs) I don't know if that's answering the question. You want to add to that? (laughs) <laughs> okay let's do uh, let's do one more All
1: right. last question do you think god uses things like counseling and medicine as the means for healing instead of just an outright miracle
0: yes yes god can take anything and use it for good even pain so certainly he can use counselors and medical doctors and medicine ultimately though Healing comes from Him. Even the capacity to come up with research and medicines that heal people, even the capacity of a of a psychologist, a counselor, to listen well to the to the processes of the mind, and then and then ask a good question or offer offer a good uh, good advice, even that capacity in human beings, even if they don't give credit to God, is a gift from God. It's a God God-given capacity. We are made in the image of God, even if we don't acknowledge it. And those medical doctors and counselors have gifts from God they don't even give God credit for, perhaps, but it's still from God. So yes, God, I've, I've gone to counseling. I would ask you to raise your hand. Anybody go to counseling? <laughs> okay. Hands and feet are going up. Yeah, God God uses counselors. God uses medicine. Um, all for the sake of our healing and wholeness. Uh, let me just leave you this: with this. like, Just remember, uh, if you hope in Christ you are already in the process of being healed. And it may not come instantaneously, here and now, it may come there and later, but if you hope in Christ, you are in the process right now of being healed relationally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Amen. Behold, he makes all things new. Close the service for us.
1: In, in light of this subject of healing, I want to read our benediction from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If our God is faithful to heal entirely, we also must believe that he is faithful to sanctify us entirely. And so would you go now and trust that he is faithful to love and to heal and to sanctify us. You're dismissed.